So my name's Eric. I am the lead pastor here at our Riverdale location, and we're in the book of Mark, and we're actually going to be in chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, so it's really only four verses that we're covering today, but there's much I want to say or that I feel like God has, has uh, shown me in study for this, and we'll see how far we get. It's actually a famous passage where Jesus says, those who enter the kingdom of God must be like a child or become like a child. And so we're going to look at what that means. Um, and so, but first I want to ask you this question. What do you think qualifies a person to get into heaven? Or specifically, what do you think will get you into heaven if, if you believe, if you're a Christian, if you've uh, claimed to be a child of God, what do you think is going to get you into heaven? Do you think it's, it's going to be your accolades, your achievements, all the, you know, growing up in maturity, the things that you've accomplished, the good things that you did for the Lord, or being uh, more good than you are bad? I mean, there's so many different ideas about how a person gets into heaven, and this one really is quite confusing for so many of us. What Jesus says that you have to become like a child, so we're going to get right into those verses, starting in verse 13. And, it, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, we've uh, been walking through this section of the book of Mark since chapter 8, where Jesus has revealed who he is, that he was going to die on the cross. He's several times now has predicted his own death, and then after doing so, he uses it as a teaching time for his disciples. Last, the last couple of weeks, we looked at Jesus uh, almost reprimanding his disciples for not getting it and having to explain it to them in detail and use illustrations and stories. And he's used an illustration of a child already when we talked about humility. He said that if anyone uh, is to come to the Lord, they must humble themselves like a little child. He said that in chapter 9. And so this section of scripture is about what he's trying to train his disciples, his followers uh, the truths, the greater truths of really the gospel. At first glance, we think that these verses are about children. Uh, many would say, you know, the, the moral of the story is this. Jesus loves the little children, and so should you, so be nice to them, right? Amen, and let's close our books and, and leave now. Many would say that that would be the moral of the story, but I'm here to tell you that really this has nothing to do with children at all. Although Jesus does use children as an illustration or an example to teach, this is in fact, like I said, about how a person enters heaven. So, a little bit of context about this. Um, Jesus has been teaching and preaching. He's a famous rabbi, traveling preacher, 
And it was customary, it was tradition back then that when the traveling rabbi would come into town in Jewish culture and Jewish tradition, that parents would bring their kids to the, the teacher for a blessing. Blessings have been a thing that, that they've been doing all the way back in Genesis Fathers would bless their children. They would pass on the birthright to their children. They would pray blessings over them in hopes that they would grow up and be the leader uh, that God wants them to be, to, to, to walk with God, to be prophets, whatever it was. There was blessing, and it always, um, it always included the laying on of hands. And so that's exactly what these uh, parents are doing is they're bringing their children to this traveling teacher who they think has power and authority to impart some kind of wisdom, impart some kind of heavenly blessing to their children. Now, just a side note, as we talked about, you know, kids' church, we talked about the need to, to teach our kids. Jesus really does want us to focus on children and to teach them and train them and guide them in the scriptures. And so my question for you is, is do you bring your children to Jesus, or are you hindering them? Many people I talk to, many parents actually eventually end up coming to church. Families come to church, and, and oftentimes I'll hear this, and this may be you. Uh, I know that this was uh, my mom's heart uh, in going back to church. It was, it was all about my faith. It was like, well, I want the kids to be able to hear about faith so that they can have a possibility to have uh, an interaction with God or morality or whatever it is, oftentimes it's, it's a care for kids that brings people to church. And that is a good thing. And so that's why we provide kids' church. We want to focus on kids' church. Oftentimes we say that ministry is one of the most important ministries that we have because they're the next generation of people that are going to be serving and leading and teaching and sharing and inviting and giving to keep the kingdom of God moving on. And so my other question then is, is okay, maybe if you're a parent, you bring kids. Maybe you're not, you don't have kids of that age, but what are you doing to help kids come to Jesus? I would also use this passage to, to invoke that question inside of you. What are you doing to help other kids come to Jesus if kids are important to Jesus as we see that they are because it goes on and it says, but when Jesus saw that, that the disciples were rebuking the parents... He was indignant. Now, this is one of the only times that the New Testament uses this word. Indignant means to be angry in such a way that not, you're not going to you know, let it simmer and kind of deal with it internally, but to let it out. There's going to be some, some anger or even some aggression, in a sense, to let this out. Burning with a displeased view of what these disciples are doing. They're telling the parents, Jesus is too important for you little kids to come to him, basically. That's what they're saying. They're saying, and, and as we saw last week, they wanted to guard, they wanted to be the gatekeepers to who came to Jesus. They thought very highly of themselves because they were the, the chosen 12, and they were like, we're the bodyguards, we're the gatekeepers, and we'll decide who gets to come to Jesus. And really, in that culture... Children were looked at as insignificant. They were looked at as unimportant. They were looked at as baggage. A little bit different than our culture today. I think 
we've flipped it around a little bit, and now kids have become extremely important, so much so that, that our whole lives are almost centered around them, and uh, we lift them all the way to the, beyond the, the, the place and priority sometimes over God in our lives, and they've become idols. But in this culture, we actually see that uh, kids, kids in the Jewish culture were really kind of a, a burden until they could actually start working and, and doing something, right, around the house. Like, it's, it's wonderful. I have a, a house full of four boys, and once they get to the age of where they can actually do chores and stuff, like, it is amazing, you know? Hey, can I get an amen to that? Amen. Parents, have your kids do chores around the house. Don't kill yourself all day long picking up their underwear off of the floor when they could do it themselves, you know? Uh, and plus, it teaches them how to be great, you know, great... Um, members of society. Um, but we also have a, an 18, 17, 16-month-old, 17-month-old almost, um, and he is he's such a joy to watch and to run around, but he's also, you know, sometimes a burden. Like, I didn't get a lot of good sleep last two nights ago because he woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, he's always needing to eat, and we're always needing to protect his head from bumping into sharp corners and and swallowing things and stuff like that, you know. And so you can see how in an older uh, culture where, where children, um, at least to the men, were a burden. And, and, and then oftentimes then it was women and children that were looked at as lower forms of, of uh, significance or, or life in their culture. And so they're just doing what's kind of normal to them when, when these parents are thinking so highly of their children that they want to get them to Jesus, but they're rebuking them. And Jesus uses this, again, as an opportunity to teach them. He's angry at them. Why is he angry at them? One, because of their pride. But secondly, because they don't understand how the kingdom of God works. Jesus has been telling them it's an upside-down thing. The greatest among you must be servant of all, that the first will be last and the last will be first, that God welcomes the lowly, the outcasts of society. It's those who are needy and dependent that actually enter the kingdom of God first. And so Jesus wants to use this as an opportunity, saying, do not hinder them. He's angry and if you don't remember, in chapter 9, he brought up hell. He brought up hell thinking about these kids. In chapter 9, it says in verse 42, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a, a great millstone hung around his neck and be thrown into the heart of the sea. Why? Because he goes on to say, because hell exists and hell is real and hell is reserved for people who don't understand the kingdom and it's also reserved for people who hinder others from going into the kingdom. People who are false teachers, false prophets. And Jesus is very, very serious about getting the gospel right. And so I submit to you today that this passage is really about getting the gospel right. How does one enter into the kingdom? He says you must become like a child. So I want to take the rest of our time to, to give maybe three examples of what it means to be like 
a child because we're all wondering, what does he mean by that? Oftentimes people mean, think it's like, oh, it's, it's they're, they're, they're ignorant, right? They don't know any better. They're very trusting. They're innocent. Um, they're pure, pure and gentle. And all those things, I guess, I would say are untrue. If you think kids are innocent, then you don't know any kids, right? You haven't met any. Kids are little sinners. We're just grown-up sinners, right? But they, they, from the moment they get a chance to be able to say no or do something wrong, we didn't have to teach them that. It just naturally came out of them to be disobedient and uh, lies come out of their mouth all the time, right? And, and so this is not about becoming, uh, and it's not about checking your brain at the door either. Oftentimes people want to say, well, kids, they just don't ask any questions and they just believe you when you tell them stuff. Well, that is also not a prerequisite to get into the heaven is to check your brain at the door. In fact, Jesus wants people to know theology, to know the truth. In fact, this is why we have this Bible, and he's made it uh, available for everyone to get a copy of in their hands so that they can read it. Isn't it an ingenious thing that God, if he wanted to talk to every human being on earth, would do it in, in a timeless way of reading that people have been doing since the beginning of time, all right? This is the way in which God has decided for us to learn about him. People uh, need to get into this book, not just hear me or preachers on Sunday, but you yourself need to believe that these are the words of God and, and there is knowledge to be found in here about who God is and in doing so, it brings you closer and closer to him so that you can know more about him and, and love him and know, much, know how much he loves us. So, let me tell you what I think or what we've come up with. Three different things. This is not exhaustive about what it means to be like a child. And it's these three words. It's to be unpretentious, to be dependent, and to be receivers. So first, this word unpretentious, kind of a big word. I had to look it up myself to figure out what it meant. <laughs> and really, um, really it just means to not be a pretender, to not be fake, not to try to impress others with an appearance of, of greater importance or talent or, or gifting or holiness. It's to come as you are, to be who you are. What you see is what you get, and you do get that with little children, there is a time, though, in which when kids get to that very sad state in life where they start caring about what people think about them. I hate that time in life. I, I made it that, to that time in my life, too, when I became, you know, uh, a, a teenager, right? Where the teenagers, they start looking around at what everybody else is wearing at school, and they're like, Dad, I can't wear these passed-down clothes from 20 years ago to school. I'm going to be made fun of, right? Everybody's going to be looking at me. Right there, that, That's the moment in time where we start to learn how to pretend or to be someone that we're not or to be like everyone else. But little children, like my toddler, they'll just wear whatever you put on them. It's, it's, it's very cute, right? And sometimes when, when mom dresses him, he looks really good. And when dad dresses him, he's not matching at all. His clothes are falling off. 
pants are on backwards, but he's still having a great time, right? Because he doesn't know any better. He's unpretentious. And it happens. It happens to all of us. As we get older, it seems that we become more pretentious, right? We, we put on this mask at church even, um, trying to uh, relay this, this idea to people that we've got it all together and everything's going well, or, or that we're holier than we are, that we've, we've, we try to hide our sins from everyone else, but we want to put all of our good works on display. And this word actually is found in Mark 12. If we skipped forward, I would uh, show you this other teaching that Jesus is saying not to be, don't be like this, don't be pretentious. He said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like, greeting, like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the, the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. People that are pretenders when it comes to the Lord will receive greater condemnation. That's a scary thing. God doesn't want us to come to church to come to him pretending to be somebody that we're not. He knows who we are. He knows all the information about us. He knows all of our sin, every moment of our life, every thought of our life, every, every bad and wrong motive of our heart. God knows all of those things. So how dare we come to him as if he doesn't and that we could hide things from him, right? Right? This happens not just to regular people, but all the way up to um, the leaders of the church, right? There are leaders of the church that want to be people pleasers. There are people who out there, all of us, we struggle to, to people please, right? And, it, and it, it is not honoring to God when we, when we look at how to please other people and then we're, we become fake in order to do so. Kids. Young kids, at least, don't do that. In fact, I love what Paul says when he says, when it comes to the gospel, which is what we're talking about, how, what's really important in Galatians 1, he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, for I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Did you know it's hard to please man and to be a follower and servant of Christ? Because why? why? Because God has some hard truths. There's some boldness that he desires from his people. In fact, to say that if anyone believes any other gospel, they're going to hell. And there are churches out there, there are people out there I mean, maybe some of us in here, right, we struggle with sharing the truth about the gospel. We want to we twist it to where it's like, well, they're a good person. They do a lot of good things, or, or at least their church has the name Jesus in it. And so maybe it's the same Jesus, you know, it's, it's between them and God or whatever. But no, the reality is, like I said, God wants us to not check our brains at the door, but to know the truth. Jesus is using this as an example to, say, to get it right. Like, no, there's a specific way to get into the kingdom of God. And to try to make it some kind of people-pleasing event so that people will warm up to God and hopefully accept your message or not be angry at you when you share that there's only one way and it's very exclusive. Um, Jesus 
wants us to be bold and unpretentious if we're going to be in his kingdom. Next, the word dependent. Romans 5, 6 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We went camping uh, last week uh, on Sunday. Right after church, we went up and went up to like Logan Canyon and and um, I have this, this weird problem um, where it comes to finding campsites or places to eat or watching something on TV. I don't know if any of you are like this, but something on TV pops up, but you're like, yeah, I want to watch this, but I want to search every other channel to see if there's something better out there, right? Is anybody like that? I do that same thing with, with food choices if we're going to go out to eat. You know, it's like, okay, this seems like a good option, but let's explore every other place we could eat, and then we'll whittle it down. Drives my family insane, by the way. I did this with a camping spot. I was like, hey, we passed a couple good camping spots, but I'm really looking for that one perfect place where nobody's, nobody's around for five miles, right? I want to be alone. I want to go to this place where uh, I'm going to train the boys to become men, right? We're going we're gonna, to uh, kill our food and eat it, and we're going to you know, survive off of the land, and there's no, we, don't, we don't have a camper or anything, so we go, we go and stay in these tents. And you know, if a bear comes, I didn't bring a gun, and so all I had was a hatchet and a pickaxe and a, and a pocket knife, and, and I'm like, this is what it means to be a man, you know? If a bear comes... You know, you're just going to have to deal with it, right? David and Goliath, you know, God is going to save us, right? Uh, so we go out there and uh, quickly realize that, man, this sucks, you know? <laughs> we don't have any of the niceties of home and, like, uh, you know, having to chop the wood and the axe is dull and, and uh, you know, we got to cook all of our food and it's cold at night and... Uh, the tent's uncomfortable, and the baby has never slept in a tent before, so he kept us up all night, and it was just like, uh, it was tough. And around, around camp, I was expecting my boys, like, to, to help me get stuff done, you know? And, like, so with age, the oldest one down to the youngest one, it seemed like the oldest one would do the most, and then the second oldest would do some, and then the younger they got, they became, you know, really really uh, less beneficial to have there. Um, you know, it was like if you ever watched Survivor, you know, on Survivor, the people that work really hard around the camp, you keep those guys around, but the people that aren't working usually vote them off pretty early, you know, because they, they start to weigh you down. Well, I was realizing how dependent my young kids are uh, on, on us taking care of them, you know. Uh, now, my oldest, he's, he's becoming a man. And he's, he's a great example of what a young man should be. That guy is a hard worker. And my, my younger boys have some, some big shoes to fill and someone to look up to. He was very helpful. Actually, he slept in a hammock. He's like, I'm, I, don't, I don't need to be in a tent. He slept in a hammock hang, hanging in the trees. And he just, he loves that type of thing. Um, but, but what I was realizing is that, man, like if, if, if we weren't here, could, could my kids survive? Could they survive out there in the wilderness? Especially the 17-month-old Aaron, right? Um, he's e extremely dependent on us to be able to live. Um, and that is 
really what all of us are, though. When, when Jesus is saying become like a child, we need to see ourselves in light of how much control we actually have in the universe and how much we actually even can take care of ourselves. You see, a young child needs care from their parents to be able to eat, to be able to have warmth, to be able to uh, clothe themselves, to bathe themselves, to take care of themselves in any way. They really don't contribute a whole lot at all. And, and that is the state in which we are in, utterly helpless, basically, so dependent on God, but yet because of our pride and what we saw the the disciples had this pride. They were struggling with thinking that they were adding something to the kingdom. They were bringing something. They had this prestige. But the Bible says that we are utterly helpless sinners that can't bring anything to the table when it comes to the kingdom of God. In fact, Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This means from birth... All human beings are not children of God. They are born in sin and headed towards hell. They are not in a right relationship with God. Human beings are stuck in what is this doctrine called original sin that we cannot get out of because of Adam and Eve. Paul explains it in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So, We can't do more good than we've done bad to make it into the kingdom. No, we are utterly dependent on God's mercy and grace. Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people can't do anything. They can't work and they can't do anything, right? And that's what he's saying. Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. In fact, people's original father, as they're born into this world, is Satan himself. That's what it's saying. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We need God's grace and mercy then to deliver us out of this. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 says that, in fact, God adopted us out of this wretched state that, that, that we were in, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to his, himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. If you think about it, we're all like spiritual orphans, stuck in this orphanage, this terrible place that is not heading to anywhere, has no hope, And yet God comes along, and not anything that existed in us, you know, a young baby being adopted out of an orphanage brings nothing to the table of the family. It is God himself, out of his mercy and grace, says, you know what? I choose you. I want you. I want to take you to my house. I want to clean you up. I want to care for you. I want to love you. I want to sit you at the table. I want to feed you, dress you, clothe you, change you, and help you mature and grow. That is what the kingdom is like. That is what Jesus is saying. If you want to enter the kingdom, you must become like a helpless, dependent, unpretentious baby. And in fact, that is what Jesus is saying here. And then we must receive this then as a gift. We can't earn it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is a gift 
This is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Aren't kids the best at receiving gifts? Right? Like, we love to give kids gifts because the smiles on their faces. Now, I'm not saying that they're always... They're always happy about what they got. They don't always give you the reaction that you wanted when you spent hundreds of dollars on that thing that you thought. You thought they were going to play with it all year for five years, ten years. It was going to last them a lifetime, and they were sick of it after a day. But kids are great at receiving gifts, receiving things. In fact, they really have nothing to give. All they can do is receive, right? And so for us, that's the same thing that we need to do with Jesus. It says this, and I'm going to end with this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus goes on to talk about In chapter 3 of John, you must be born again, become like a little infant. Nicodemus was confused about this. What do you mean? How can I go into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. You must be spiritually born. You've been born in the flesh. You need to be a baby in the spirit. You need to come to the Lord as an infant with nothing to give, nothing to offer, realizing that you're weak, powerless, and insignificant And when we get to that place, that's called repentance. Trusting what the Bible says, that you are a sinner in need of grace and mercy. And and Jesus himself takes care of that problem. When he came to earth, he died a sinner's death on the cross. What we deserved, though himself being sinless, dies on the cross and rises from the dead. He takes away our sins and he proves he's got power over sin, death, and the grave. And anyone who believes in him and receives him becomes an adopted son or daughter of God. So when Jesus says, You must become to me like a child, he means coming to him in a needy way, in a repentant way, in a humble way. And in a way that accepts that Jesus is enough. He is all. He has done everything that we need. And we bring nothing to the table. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, for your love, for your absolute grace and mercy. God, it takes some humility. It takes some humbling from you to even get to this place to really understand who we are in light of who you are, but that you love us anyway. You've come to adopt us, to to set us free from this world, to set us free from being children of wrath, to becoming children of God. I pray that people understand this. I pray that they give you glory. I pray that they come back week after week and day after day to, to worship you because of what you have done for them and the possibility of what they could do for others. I pray we go out and share this with everybody we see. Because it is important that people know the truth about, enter, about entering heaven. I praise you that for many of us here, we know we have interest into in your kingdom. But I also ask that you would help the people who don't know you, Lord, that through today's words, um, they would finally get it and they would repent and believe. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.